America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great nation engaged right now in a great struggle together with our allies in the uh, Western Alliance and the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is about to get some new members. We're engaged in a great struggle against an evil empire. Remember when uh, Reagan called the Soviet Union an evil empire? And there were tons of people on the left who attacked President Reagan and did so with the old argument of moral equivalence, which made me sick at the time. And uh, I spoke against it at the time. People would talk about the literally millions of people who had been imprisoned and tortured and, and victimized by Soviet communism. And then uh, people say, oh, oh, what about the American Indians? I mean, America's not so great. We can't, we can't speak out against uh, uh, the Soviet Union. And by the same token, we have today a phenomenon of some people, thank God, it is very much a minority, but some people in the Republican Party and in the Democratic Party as well, who have the same kind of idea of moral equivalence regarding this confrontation with Russia. You talk about uh, Russia, unprovoked uh, invasion, totally pointless aggression. People say, well, what about America? America, we made trouble for them. We threatened them by uh, uh, having uh, an open invitation, it seemed, for Ukraine to join NATO. Well, addressing this danger of moral equivalence arguments, and particularly in the context of the Ukraine, is uh, Gabriel uh, Schoenfeld, who uh, uh, Gabe Schoenfeld is a uh, uh, prominent commentator. He is an editor at the American Purpose. He previously served as a senior fellow at Hudson Institute and a senior advisor for the 2012 Mitt Romney campaign and a columnist for USA Today and a senior editor at Commentary and more. Uh, Gabe, it's great to speak to you, and congratulations on a very important column. Thank you. It's great to be back on the show. The last time I was on was 2004. You're kidding. No, I did, it, I did the book about anti-Semitism, and you put me very kindly uh, had me on to talk about it. Well, again, I remember the book, and it's very important, and I follow your material, and of course, particularly with USA Today, where I also write. And, uh, okay, this idea of moral equivalence with Ukraine, uh, the, what, what you talk about is this is not entirely an isolated political fringe. This is a uh, sort of a growing theme from some voices on the right, and some voices on the left. What's the danger for the United States for arguments about moral equivalence between us and Russia today? Well, I don't, I don't regard this as a great danger at the moment because, as you said in the setup, this is a small minority. But it's still, it's the voices that we should pay attention to, who are basically uh, against American assistance to Ukraine. Uh, constantly warning that if we if we provide Ukraine with weapons, it will lead to escalation and to nuclear war, which is, frankly, uh, a rather preposterous law argument. So uh, I, I think there we should we should certainly pay attention to these people. They're, they're, they are on the, both on the left and the right. Uh, I'd say the concentration now is more on the right side, but uh, if you just count the numbers of Republicans voting for some of these 
measures, uh, it's, it's, it's Repub- a Republican majority here that we're worried about. Well, again, some of the uh, people actually who uh, voices that you mentioned say it's a fantasy to and a dangerous fantasy to believe in a regime change in Russia. Isn't that a valid goal and hope for American policymakers? I certainly think it's a it's a valid it's a valid goal and hope, and uh, but it's it is there is there no party to the conflict has made Putin's departure a condition for a return to peace, which is also wise because we can't it's something we 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 obviously have no control over, and he's not going to step down. So uh, it, regime change is something we should all be in favor of, but it's not something that should be a, the goal of U.S. policy, or at least a sp- at least a spoken goal. I, I had a caller earlier today uh, who has relatives uh, both in Russia and in Ukraine. And he asked a question, which I will ask you, Gabe, since you've written about this so well. How do you think this thing ends? Well, it, it could end in a number of ways. Um, it, it could be, a, first of all, a very long grinding conflict on, on Ukraine's eastern and southern flank. Uh, where there's a war of attrition that's a kind we've been seeing uh, ongoing since 2014 when Russia seized Crimea. There's been this state of conflict ever since. But it's also possible that the Russian army, which has been performing abysmally, could could actually collapse if we uh, arm the Ukrainians sufficiently. The Ukrainians are fighting with great skill and intelligence and bravery. The Russian army is an army of conscripts, of robots, it's a, it's, a, it's a dictatorship, not a free country, and it's fighting like a dictatorship, which is very poorly. So there's a possibility of Russian of Russian military collapse. And what uh, what happens then? Then I, my crystal ball becomes cloudy at that point. But <laughs> I would say that that if that happens, Putin's future as a leader of, of Russia would, would be uh, in, called into question. Uh, that kind of disaster would, would demand a kind of change at the top, I would think. But it's it's very dangerous to forecast uh, events in Russia. Uh, it's dangerous to forecast in general. And uh, in in terms of uh, uh, people proposing some kind of uh, American guarantee of uh, Ukrainian neutrality, some kind of negotiated settlement, that that looks increasingly less likely, doesn't it? it well, it does seem less likely, and it's something that really Ukraine has to decide for itself what kind of terms it wants to accept. We are providing them with assistance, but we are not the ones who will make the decisions about how the war ends. It's up to, it's up to them to decide the fate of their country. So uh, an American guarantee or a NATO guarantee uh, might be something uh, worth considering, but not if it means Ukrainian neutrality and Ukrainian disarmament or a kind of Finlandization where Ukraine loses control over its sovereignty. Now, it's ironic you use that term, Finlandization, now that Finland wants to become a member of NATO and apparently uh, is going to be expedited on that path. I, um, I, I, I do think that, that part of the, the difficulty here is that people, until this topic came up and until this war and this invasion occurred, underestimated the importance of the Western alliance. Don't you think one of the messages to the people of the world and to the United States citizens in particular is how crucial NATO is to the future of civilization? It, it absolutely is. And we see uh, 
again, in the heart of Europe, naked aggression by a dictatorship against a peace-loving free country. And uh, if NATO did not exist, I would be, I, I believe it's a great degree of certainty that uh, Putin and the Russians would have not have stopped at the Ukrainian border, but would have gone on to try to reconstitute the Soviet empire. So Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, all would be swallowed up. Hungary. Uh, this is, NATO is absolutely critical for keeping the peace in Europe. And, and again, I remember during uh, the days of our youth, uh, people used to talk about captive nations. Well, the captives have been freed and have been freed by the leadership of the United States of America. And to take that triumph for our country that was uh, achieved really on a bipartisan basis. I mean, President Truman initiated the fight and President Eisenhower carried it on and President uh, Reagan and uh, uh, President Bush, the first President Bush, all made a change in the world that gets too little appreciation. You can get more appreciation putting that in context by reading the article Moral Equivalence and Ukraine. It's uh, linked on our website at michaelmedved.com. We'll be right back with uh, other fallacies and fraud. On the Michael Medved Show, sometimes I think you can look at American politics and look at the divisions between the two parties, which, of course, are constantly at war, and that's basically not brand new today. Uh, some of the fighting, some of the nastiness between Republicans and Democrats may be particularly intense. But there's also uh, sometimes the, the two parties do things in almost mirror image of one another. And one of the things that I think has been <clears throat> typical about that has been exaggerating the impact and the significance of what is going on with Twitter. Uh, I do not believe that this threatens the en end of civilization as we know it, as some people on the left are saying. Uh, some people on the right are taking the opposite point of view and trying to invest almost messianic authority in Elon Musk, uh, who is not a perfect messenger for the conservative cause by any means, but nor is he some kind of threat to the free exchange of ideas. If anything, he is in favor of more free speech, not less free speech, and good for him. Uh, Joy Reid on MSNBC uh, tried to associate uh, Elon Musk with uh, with what? Well, with basically, uh, I, I think what can properly be described as a racist implication that because of where he was born and raised, that he must be some kind of evil racist, to which he has given no evidence at all. Uh, this is what uh, Joy had to say on MSNBC, clip nine. 
Well, and the bottom line is, as you said, if they want, they don't want to just be in the club. They are, they, they are on the, you know, they've been described as being on the outside of the culture looking in through the glass. But they don't just want to come in. They want to come in and be able to punch people in the face and walk around and laugh about it and yes. not have anyone be able to stop them. The, the thing is, the, the enjoyment they get out of being in this town square is being able to harass people, being able to attack people. There was a time when people had the double hashtags around their names because they were Jewish and right-wingers were saying, get in the oven anytime you made any benign comment on Twitter. They attacked women. The, the, you know, the misogyny was crazy on Twitter for a while. Elon Musk, I guess he, you know, he misses the old South Africa in the 80s. He wants, he wants that back. Okay. Uh, Elon Musk is from South Africa. He was never a supporter of apartheid in any way. In fact, he, um, decades ago, he fled to Canada to avoid conscription in South Africa. And the idea that Elon Musk wants South African apartheid back is, is ridiculous and, and insulting and so far over the top but uh, that's not all. I mean, there's uh, there's Chuck Schumer, <laughs> and and again, the the idea that uh, I think it's H. L. Mencken. In fact, I know it's H. L. Mencken, who uh, once said that for every complex problem, there is an answer that is simple, uh, direct, uh, persuasive, and wrong. And uh, the idea that. Um, Right now, we have a simple problem with student debt, uh, college debt that the president can fix with a flick of a pen. Just imagine. Here is uh, Chuck Schumer with his advocacy for this kind of sweep of financial insanity uh, by the president of the United States. Clip eight. President Biden's done the right thing by continuing the moratorium on student loan payments. His actions have saved millions from financial ruin during the COVID crisis. But borrowers don't just need their debts paused. They need them erased. These extensions have been crucial, but borrowers can indefinitely plan out their financial futures three months at a time with the fear hanging over them that payments will resume down the line. With the flick of a pen, President Biden could provide millions upon millions of student loan borrowers a new lease on life. And he can do it without congressional action because we know so many of our colleagues on the other side of the aisle are opposed to it. Okay, this is crazy. Uh, again, there's all kinds of debt in the United States. Sometimes people go deeply into debt to, uh, uh, to buy homes. That was part of the problem that uh, caused the market to crash back in 2008. People had taken out debt that they couldn't afford. And nobody talked about the president with a flick of a pen saying that some of those uh, even federally backed loans would just be forgiven. People take out loans to start businesses and create jobs and to build the economy. But if you don't make your payments on those loans, people don't talk about a political move to, to try to wipe out what you owe. This is one of those insane things where I'm actually proud to be a Republican and to see Republicans uh, all across the ideological spectrum uh, saying, no, you cannot do this. Uh, first of all, 
these very wealthy universities already receive so much government support and so many other phases to uh, allow uh, students to, to go on overpaying and paying more than it's worth and uh, just erasing this kind of debt, how does, how does that make sense or fairness? And uh, Biden said today on NBC that, uh, yeah, he's considering student debt forgiveness, but it would be less than $50,000. Well, thank heaven, $50,000, if you figure it out, it, it comes to $12,000, $12,500 a year uh, for a four-year college degree. And some of this debt forgiveness, a great deal of it, would go to people who never completed their degrees. Uh, here is what um, President Biden said earlier today. Listen. Shorty uh, Leader Schumer said yesterday that you're, quote, getting closer to using executive authority to cancel up to $50,000 in uh, student loan debt. Can you confirm that? What exactly are you looking to uh, plan to do here in the coming? You mean my months? spokesman said that? Majority Leader Schumer. <laughs> Um, look, uh, number one, uh, one first thing we did was reform the system that was in place that didn't work for anybody, that allowed people to write off debt if they engaged in public service. We have almost a million, 785, don't hold me the exact number, I'll get the number, 700 and some thousand have had debt forgiven, their whole debt forgiven because of their work working in either as teachers or other means by which they qualify. And we continue to make that easier. Secondly, I am considering dealing with some debt reduction. I am not considering $50,000 debt reduction, but I'm in the process of taking a hard look at whether or not there are going to, there will be additional debt forgiveness. And uh, I'll have an answer on that in the next couple of weeks. Now, of course, this program of having debt forgiven if you engage in public service, we have a GI Bill that's involved in military, but in terms of public service like teaching and social work, that's been around since the Obama administration. And what a ripoff to people who took advantage of that and shaped their lives according to it if now you just forgive the debt for everybody and for no purpose. We'll be right a brilliant connection and I don't want to take any credit for it because it's all Jeremy Steiner pride of Hillsdale College and boy is he ever right one of the things that sparked the Tea Party movement was this whole idea of people who were struggling to pay their mortgage every month who keep their credit solid to be solid citizens to do the right thing which is if you borrow money you pay it off uh, during the uh, first stages of the economic collapse 2008-2009, there were serious suggestions about the government stepping in and paying people's mortgages for them because they couldn't afford it. They took out loans on houses that they had no chance of paying back. And it was a ridiculous situation. The government had actually helped them do that to try to encourage more housing owner ownership. Uh, same way the government had tried to encourage more college education by allowing people to take out loans that they really had very little chance of uh, paying back based upon their own future prospects.
And one of the things that happened is in the middle of that debate, the Tea Party began against the idea of just favoring people who may have been personally irresponsible and didn't want to take responsibility for their own loans. And uh, Rick Santelli, who was a commentator on uh, CNBC, uh, spoke from the floor of the stock exchange, and he did an epic rant. I mean, it's it's really very classic. And you have to go back to hear it. It's uh, February 19th, 2009. And speaking about the idea of uh, the federal government providing mortgage relief for people, selected people, Rick Santelli sounded like this. You know, the, the government is promoting bad behavior because we certainly don't want to put stimulus forth and give people a whopping 8 or $10 in their check and think that they ought to save it. And in terms of modifications, I'll tell you what, I have an idea. You know, the, the new administration's big on computers and technology. How about this, President and new administration? Why don't you put up a website to have people vote on the Internet as a referendum to see if we really want to subsidize the losers' mortgages or or would we like to at least buy cars and buy houses in foreclosure and give them to people that might have a chance to actually prosper down the road and reward people that could carry the water instead of drink the water? Hey, Rick, That's did, a novel idea. Hey, hey Rick, did you... What? Putty in your hands. Did you hear? No, they're not, Joe. They're not like putty in our hands. This is America. How many of you people want to pay for your neighbor's mortgage that has an extra bathroom and can't pay their bills? Raise their hand. How about we all? Uh, President Obama, are you listening? Okay, again, uh, that was uh, brilliant. Somebody ought to play it for. Uh, the guy who was vice president at that time, uh, Joe Biden, who is president now. President Biden, are you listening? Because, listen, for, for among people who have made real sacrifices to enable themselves or to enable their children to attend college or university, to then hear about people who take out gigantic loans up to $50,000. I was relieved to hear the president said, no, he was talking about loan forgiveness, student debt forgiveness, less than 50. Uh, the, the point of all this is just pure political pandering, and it does nothing to help make college more affordable for the great majority of Americans. Uh, here's uh, South Dakota Senator John Thune, who I actually think... Um, if this race opens up, and it might, is a potential very serious candidate for president. Uh, he's widely respected by his colleagues, popular at home, hugely popular at home. Senator Thune said uh, this about uh, the debt forgiveness idea for college graduates. Listen. We are no longer having double-digit unemployment, as we did during some of the worst moments of the pandemic. In fact, our current unemployment rate is a low 3.6%. For college graduates, the unemployment rate is a staggeringly low 2%. To paraphrase the Wall Street Journal's editorial board on the subject, if student loan borrowers aren't ready to return to making payments now, they'll never be. Even the Washington Post editorialized against the president's latest extension, noting, and I quote, 
What was a needed emergency measure at the start of the pandemic is no longer justified. It is hard to make an argument that college graduates are struggling right now. The unemployment rate for Americans with a bachelor's degree or higher is a mere 2%. There is a near record number of job openings, end quote. That from the Washington Post. Okay, look, this is very, very important. And basically, do you know what it reflects? It reflects a tendency to look down on people who may have a lower educational level than you. Because the people who are favoring the, uh, the idea that uh, there should be some forgiveness of loans for college are basically saying that the only way you can have a good, successful, rewarding life in the United States is by earning a college degree. I'm a believer in college degrees. I mean, again, it's one of those things where if I you look at how education, uh, on my dad's case, well, in my dad's case, earned by scholarships and by the GI Bill and, and others, uh, education can transform lives, but it doesn't always. And particularly with these college loans, half the people who enroll in four-year colleges and universities do not finish more than half. If you count within six years of actually beginning college, the number of people who actually earn their bachelor's degree is a far less than half. And that idea that we should keep subsidizing college for everybody, I mean, college did not help certain people. Uh, to take, for instance, uh, Representative Eric Swalwell of California, who had this to say about his Republican colleagues. Now, does this sound educated and appropriate? It's clip 16. Look, it's so clear that so many of my Republican colleagues, uh, from Kevin McCarthy uh, to Marjorie Taylor Greene and others, they, they don't believe in democracy, the idea that a majority wins. In fact, they are opposed to that, and they're now more comfortable with violence than they are with voting, and they were willing to use any lever of government uh, to try and uh, take away your vote. Republicans believe more in violence than with voting. Is that outrageous? It seems to me that it is, but there's something else outrageous. A um, prominent candidate, Trump-endorsed candidate, calls for the immediate arrest, arrest of a prominent government official. Which one? And what's the basis for that arrest? We will get to that coming up. We will also take a look at the uh, idea of blaming your own horrible behavior on homophobia. Really? That make a great deal of sense? This in a, uh, another flight that goes wrong. And speaking of things going wrong, a group of uh, homeless activists uh, who themselves claim to be homeless commit uh, an assault, uh, vandalism against a, uh, a, a government facility. Why? they say, to uh, respond to uh, camp removals, to uh, sweeps of homeless encampments, which, uh, again, had been promised, discussed, voted for. We will get to that and to much more coming up on The Michael Medved Show. 
Uh, more coming up. Your calls if you want to. 1-800-955-1776. Sign up today for our free weekly newsletter at michaelmedved.com. show there are a, a series of stories that indicate uh, basically that elements not the whole country but there are elements of America that are just completely losing their minds I mean beyond belief losing their minds there is this story from the uh, Charlotte uh, News and Observer and uh, uh, a man flying first class said his homophobia may have ignited his temper that led him to attack a Delta Airlines flight attendant for refusing to serve him a second alcoholic drink. Uh, he told FBI agents the flight uh, attendant was homosexual and that this made him uncomfortable. Christopher Alexander Morgan of Arizona is accused of assaulting the flight attendant by hitting him in the chest with an airplane telephone and hurling homophobic slurs at him over the refusal of the drink. I think a little bit of anger management might be in order. Uh, Morgan denied hitting the flight attendant with a phone but told authorities he is homophobic. The ordeal began when Morgan was found reclining his seat all the way back and refused to put his on his seatbelt before takeoff. Okay, at that point, he should have been thrown off the plane. He didn't listen when the fact, victim flight attendant and another told him to buckle up and bring his seat upright. During the flight, Morgan ordered and was given an alcoholic beverage before he asked for a second one. However, the flight attendant offered him a non-alcoholic drink instead, which angered him. Well, of course. Then the flight attendant uh, grabbed a, uh, a telephone aboard the flight to notify the captain of Morgan's actions. Morgan called the flight attendant the F-word and a queer and threw a glass of ice at them in response. Then uh, Morgan hit the flight attendant in the chest with the phone and called him more homophobic slurs. Delta Flight 2908 on April 22nd from Atlanta to Phoenix was met on arrival by law enforcement following a reported incident involving a customer on board, a Delta spokesman told McClatchy News in a statement. Uh, Morgan told the FBI... This got up to the FBI that he is homophobic and it is possible he could have been intimidating the flight attendants during an interview, according to the complaint. He said he called the flight attendant a queer but denied attacking him. Uh, okay, here's the kicker on this. Morgan is charged with interfering with a flight crew member on an aircraft. He could facially, potentially face a maximum sentence of up to 20 years in prison. Yeah, let's let's try. I know this was a Delta flight, but let's try the United Way of uh, Friendly Skies, can we? 
And uh, speaking of friendly skies, there's uh, also this. Carrie Lake is a former TV newswoman who uh, is running for governor of Arizona. And uh, she is endorsed by President Trump. But she has an endorsement of her own that she just issued in a campaign appearance. An endorsement for ivermectin as a treatment for COVID-19. Listen. To buy ivermectin and find somebody who can prescribe it to us and then beg a pharmacist to give it to us. It works like Matt. I've taken it. It's a wonder drug. And it's outrageous they kept that from us. And it was Anthony Fauci who kept that from us. I'm encouraging any law, any lawman here, and I'm talking sheriffs, I don't think it'll happen in Maricopa County, but I'm looking for someone tough like maybe Sheriff Lamb to issue a warrant for Anthony Fauci's arrest out of Arizona. Okay, uh, and what are we arresting Dr. Fauci for? For not recommending <laughs> ivermectin? Uh, I guess not. Uh, let us uh, go quickly to Tom in Glendora, California. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Very good, Michael. Great to talk to you after all this time. Hope your grandkids are doing well. Mine are, and I hope yours are. And thank you so much. We have a fifth on the way, so that's great. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I know time is limited. I'll get right to the point here. I've never seen the world in such a state in my long 76 years where it's always been good versus evil, good God, the evil Satan. This country's been a sterling example of good for the most part, with the egregious exception of slavery. Your book is great, tying God, our God-based faith, to the goodness of this country, and with all the pandemic of evil, Vladimir Putin, North Korea, the cancel culture, the woke culture, sexualizing our kids in the school, I could, I'll run out of time. What we've got to do as great Judeo-Christian patriots is go back to God, pray daily, and work actively, very, very strongly, but kindly, to bring back the sense of faith and freedom and humility and forgiveness and redemption that is the core of our being as a nation. You're great in, in your books in promoting that, and I'm afraid if we don't, Michael, we will lose the best nation God ever created, as you would say, on this good green earth and we Tom Tom it's, it's beautifully said and I agree with every word I agree with you entirely and I'll just supplement it a little bit because the very essence of the prayer that you're talking about uh, the essence of prayer for for Jews for Christians for people who pray regularly is gratitude and it means recognizing that we have reasons to be grateful First thing you say in the morning in Jewish uh, law and Jewish tradition is uh, thank you, God. It's a moda ani, I thank you. And thank you, God, for giving me back my soul from sleep and uh, giving me this day. And yes, we should make the best of it. Appreciate your call, Tom, and, and good luck to you and blessings on your grandchildren. Uh, okay, we have, uh, in terms of blessings, to say it's a blessing might be going too far, but there's a fairly enjoyable animated movie out there that uh, can appeal to a wide audience. It's about a, a group of creatures, non-human creatures, who form a criminal gang involving the governor of California, a criminal gang of animals. The movie's called The Bad Guys. Listen.
time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. A criminal gang of art thieves and bank robbers takes advantage of the fact that they're all scary animals, including a wolf, a snake, a piranha, a shark, and more, reveling in their designation as the bad guys. A new animated feature from DreamWorks now playing in theaters. You ever wonder what it'd be like if the world wasn't scared of us? You villains, you need a makeover. That's a guinea pig professor who's a famous apostle of goodness who works with the governor of California, secretly a tough gal superhero, to try to transform the bad guys into good guys despite their identification as members of unpopular species. It's amusing, handsomely animated, and endearingly silly with vocal talent including Sam Rockwell, Mark Marin, and Aquafina. This is no classic, but certainly entertaining enough that it's likely there will be sequels, as there were with the books that inspired it. Two and a half stars for the loony but likable and PG-rated The Bad Guys. And speaking of bad guys, uh, in an apparent comment on homeless encampment clearings in the city, a Seattle Parks and Recreation building was vandalized severely over the weekend with a message to the city, You sweep, we strike. The uh, building in South Lake Union was vandalized sometime between Saturday night and Sunday morning. Several windows were broken, cars damaged, and there was graffiti sprayed on the outside walls. Uh, a spokesman commented, the uh, graffiti said, you sweep, we strike. In other words, it, in order to, because the law has been actually enforced and public parks have been cleared you're going to attack the bureaucrats who are putting into practice the determination of mayor harrell and good for him that he would actually expedite and move up the uh the homeless uh sweeps of homeless encampments i i think it's appalling and the idea that you turn to vandalism to try to make your point of compassion, how pathetic. Uh, speaking of how pathetic, the Tony Awards have announced a brand new rule. They're going to be banning something that actually enlivened the Oscars last time. What is it? We'll tell you. Also, how has the American middle class changed in 50 years? Not the way you think not the way you think at all. And uh, we'll also be looking at big new movies, including Liam Neeson with, uh, as a compassionate hitman with memory problems, and Ava Longoria as a harried uh, career woman who's trying to unplug from her devices. That and more in this greatest nation. Have you heard about Vine to Bar chocolate? It's the winemaker's chocolate, the world's first chocolate made with well-vined Chardonnay Mark from the beautiful coastal vineyards of North